Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I am your host, Tara, and today's topic is certainly a modern mom prob, I guess if you could call it that. What we're talking about is everything no one tells you about parenting a disabled child with Kelly Coleman. Kelly Coleman is a feature film development executive turned author and advocate for parent, caregivers, and individuals with disabilities. Her writing and advocacy drew upon over a decade of experience assessing the necessary support for children with disabilities to succeed, including her own child. In Kelly's new book, Everything No One Tells You About Parenting a Disabled Child, Your Guide to the Essential Systems, Services, and Supports is available now for pre-order and will be released on March 12th. Kelly lives in L.A. with her husband, two boys, and her son's trusty service dog. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love your community and all the positivity, but also total reality of what this is that you're putting out there. So thank you for all you're doing for the moms. Oh, thank I'm glad that you got that sense that I love to obviously inspire, but at the same time, like we still have to laugh about the stuff that's going on right now. We because really have to laugh about the stuff and When we don't and when we pretend like, I'm fine, I got this, it's all good, we're not only erasing part of our experience, but we're making ourselves feel worse when we pretend like, oh, it's all fine always. No, it is not always fine. No. And it's okay to admit that it's not always fine. Yes. And that's how we connect with other people. And I love that you laugh at and give permission people to laugh at all the things because, man, we need that. We sure do. We sure do. I'm so excited to have you on because we're going to talk about a lot of different things. And this may be slightly heavier than some of the topics that I do cover, but I always like to say anything that falls underneath the umbrella of a modern mom problem, we're going to discuss. And so here we are. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are a feature film development executive. You're a mom. You're an author. You are incredible. We chatted for like 10 minutes before we even started recording, and I could have chatted with you all day. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yes. So my name is Kelly Coleman, as you said, and in my life in the before times, which is not only before COVID, but before children, I got paid to come up with ideas for talking animal movies which is a preposterous job, but was awesome. And I love it. And, you know, worked at big places, small places, worked on so many things that I'm so proud of on different levels. And am coming to my writing. I'm now an author and really focused on books. And so everything is conversational and fun and very storytelling based. The curveball, by the way, parenting is such a curveball, one after another, that kind of came into my writing, but also our family. We have two amazing boys. They're now ages 10 and 12, and they are hilarious and weird and wonderful and all the things. Our 10-year-old, in addition to all of his, his fabulous boy band hair and his love for airplanes and his like awesome swimming, like all these things, he also has multiple disabilities, which is the reason I wrote the book that I wrote about how the heck to do all the paperwork and planning, but also the starting point for parents like me of we're basically handed a diagnosis and told to go home, Google, and cry, see ya, and shuffled out of that office as quickly as we can. And so we're just like, let me just step into this bottomless pit of inadequacy, and I'm just going to keep 
falling and I'm going to sit in my pantry and eat dry cereal in my sweats for a couple of years and we'll see how that goes. And it doesn't go well. It does not go well at all. Now that I'm a decade into this and I've gotten to know both of my children, they're amazing humans and this is all doable. But if your child is disabled, you have so much paperwork, so much planning And other parents have that too, but when the needs are exponential, the stuff is exponential. And so my book is basically how the heck to do all the stuff because like all parents, we want to spend less time with all the paperwork and the crap and more time just loving our kids. Yeah, I'm so glad that there's finally like a handbook to be able to do this. It's it's so much because when you receive a diagnosis, you like you said, you sort of look at the doctor or the caretaker and you go, okay, you grab your paperwork and then you leave and you go, okay, well, what now? You know, you, you book the OTs, the, the speech therapists, the psychological therapists, like all of the things, even up, even stuff above and beyond that. And there's no handbook for how to get through it all. There is now. Hooray. Yeah. yeah, It was just that easy. It just happened. It was just that easy. Um, (laughs) He just manifested it. And then that was what it is. It just dropped from the ceiling and into my lap. Um, It actually didn't. It helps that I was a writer already. And it not only has the personal stories and letters from other parents and the worksheets and the templates and all of that, but It couldn't have happened without, I interviewed over 40 experts for this, many of whom are disabled themselves. And so many of us are even afraid to say the word disability because it sounds big and scary. And I have learned, and especially from individuals who are disabled, I'm not. So I'm coming into this as like an ignorance, like, let me just come in and be an ally. But boy, I need to listen and learn first. And I've just heard over and over from these high-level experts who are disabled, who are working in this space and in this community, that it is not only okay to say disability, but it is necessary. It is the word that is used in law. All kids are special. All humans are special. Like all the things and whatever word you're saying, I'm not going to shame you for it. But just being able to own and say the fact that my kid is disabled has been a journey, but also an important one for our family, and that I hope he is proud of all the parts of him, including the fact that he has multiple disabilities. He has a yet undiagnosed genetic syndrome, and within that, autism, epilepsy, cerebral palsy, feeding tube, cortical vision impairment, microcephaly, sensory, cognitive Like, uh, he's an overachiever. He's like, I'm going to check all the boxes. And we're like, okay, great. We'll we'll roll with that. Because as a parent, you don't have a choice of all of the things that are coming at you. But you do have a choice of embracing your kid. And man, that makes it all easier. Yeah, it absolutely does. My mind is is swimming with so many different questions that I want to chat about. But I'm going to focus on on one thing. Can I share a story? Please. With you, Kelly. So in my family, my mother's favorite brother, my Uncle Jay, was born without disabilities, although we suspect that he had ADHD. But, you know, back in the 60s, that was not diagnosed. When he was... 20 years old. He was in California. He was living in California at the time. He was going to Pepperdine because he was going to be a veterinarian. And he was in a horrific car accident. And they had to fly him back to New Jersey. And he was in a coma for several weeks. And he had brain surgery. And He healed and was able to come home and live with my grandparents and my mom and her other two brothers. But he was no longer the same person that he had been. He was now legally blind. He was brain damaged. 
He had to learn how to walk again, feed himself. And all of the stuff was in the early 70s. So we don't have nearly the technology that we have now. And so it was on my grandmother to try to figure out how to make this work in the family, you know, between his therapy sessions and him rehabbing at home and, and, and still taking care of her other children. And there was no handbook for her back then. And, and my grandfather too, I shouldn't exclude him in the, but, but I, I'm putting the, most of the onus on the mother as we tend to do. And that was something that has always carried on with my family because it was such a transition. It was, it was really like a stopgap in their lives. And to go from a seemingly, I'm using this in quotes, normal existence to then have your entire life turned upside down when your oldest, eldest son has to get flown home from the other side of the country and now require 100% of your care. There's no handbook for that. Where do you go? You know, what do you do? Not only is there no handbook until now. Until now, now there is. The whole identity of being a parent caregiver Almost everyone is wholly unprepared for this, for instances like the one in your family. Like in my family, it is a full-time job that the overwhelming majority of the time falls on the moms to be the primary caregiver for day-to-day, plus all the paperwork and all the things. It is a full-time, much more than 40-hour-a-week job And it is a forever job. And there is no training. There's, you can, it's taken me a decade to get to where I am now. And I am still learning. And I will always be learning. And especially as you spoke about several decades ago when we didn't have the internet and there was so much to figure out. But now even with the internet and resources and groups and things, we're all reinventing the exact same wheels and it's different in each state. And we don't even know what questions to ask. And the, I know you, you speak about overwhelm and burnouts and things like that in any parenting situation. When you are adding to that, the fact that you have a more than full-time job for the rest of your life that you never expected and there's no training, it is so much to sit with. And when people are like, I'm worried about you, you should take a yoga class. You just feel like your face is going to melt off of your skull. And you're like, I don't want to hang in a room with a bunch of bendy, carefree 20-somethings who are off to champagne brunch when I didn't get my order of feeding tube supplies. Like, uh I just need to like cry and get the supplies. And it is, of course, isolating and overwhelming and all the things. And we got to have an inroads for parent caregivers to stop reinventing the same wheels so that we can start out from a point that doesn't feel like helplessness and inadequacy because those feelings just make it all worse. Yeah. How? Where, where, where does one even start? So people starting from zero, yes, get my book, find my book, absolutely all of that. It's the handbook I wish I had had. In addition or instead of that, and especially if you can't afford to buy a book, tell your library to get the book. In every state, there is a parent training and information center. These are almost always run by fellow parents who are knowledgeable, whether it's about your specific disability or situation or about disability in general. At the beginning, most of us don't even know the questions to ask. And 
you can call these centers in your local area, in whatever state you're in. I have made so many phone calls crying and blubbering and tears. And they're like, whoa, don't go anywhere. Let me transfer to Diana. Diana can help. I'm like, I don't know who Diana is, but I need to. Diana sounds wonderful, though. By the way, there's a literal Diana in my life to whom I was transferred when I was like on this journey and found out like, oh, we're hitting the fan. And I was like, ah, what do I do? And Diana's has been an important part of our journey. So your Diana might be a book. It might be a, a community you find online. Be sure that you are connecting with local resources, even under the same federal guidelines, even under the Americans with Disabilities Act. There are some things that are federally true for all of us, but things vary not only state to state, but also community and county and city and individual part of your county, it all varies wildly how your state defines disability and access and who can access services because it is also different. Connect with your local parent training and information center because you need something to hang on to and they can give you something to hang on to, to move you away from those feelings of inadequacy and powerlessness. When your kid is disabled, you feel like, I just want to love my kid. I'm going to cry. And that's not enough. It's not enough for me to just love one of my kids the way I just love my other kid. And when he's hungry, he's going to go get a sandwich. You know what? My other one needs full-time one-to-one 24-7 support. He's great, hilarious, wonderful. Like He's all the great things. But if I am not accessing the supports, the services, the feeding tube supplies and the epilepsy medication and all the things that he needs, his quality of life will suffer greatly. And that's so scary as a parent. That's a lot to hold. Yeah, it must feel extraordinarily helpless because if you don't have all of those things teed up, the feeding tube supplies, the medicine, the the right care lined up, then then like I said, you just feel helpless. There's nothing that you could do. It's It's a lot of feelings. It's a whole lot of feelings. It is. I, I'm on the brink of tears, Cal. I knew, yeah. I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. There was no doubt in my mind that I was going to make it through this episode not crying. And by the way, me too. I, I'm a crier. I cried all the things. Also from the joys, my kid is not tragic. His existence and our lives are far from tragic. You know, you see us playing mini golf or watching airplanes and you don't actually feel sorry for us. But what's important about this conversation and why I think we're both tearing up is because there is so much that is universal in this journey. And for families who are listening to this, it's on one hand could be easy to say, I don't have a disabled kid. This conversation isn't for me. But actually, it is for you. As you pointed out, disability can happen to anyone at any time. And there are things we hope don't happen within our families. If we all live old enough, we will become disabled in some way. Also, according to the Centers of Disease Control, one in 36 kids is born with a birth defect. I hate the word defect, but there you go. You know, as many as one in six kids has some sort of developmental disability, learning disability, you know, you name it. Like the percentages are so high. One in four adults is disabled. Disability will touch all of our lives and we're not going to know what to do. If it is your sibling, your niece, your nephew, your the person standing in line next to you at Trader Joe's whose kid is spinning and flapping and squealing. By the way, that's my kid. It is part of all of our lives. And as a starting point, we can all validate this experience. And when we get a diagnosis for our child, for ourselves, like no one wants to hear I don't know how you do it. Oh, that's awful. What a tragedy. Only God gives special kids to special people. No, no, Karen, you're you're special too. Regardless of who your kids are, we're all special, Karen. We want to be validated and seen and heard. 
and hearing each other's stories and sharing each other's stories and so much of what you do in your community, it is the experts, it is the tips, it is the things, but it is this community of sharing all these stories that becomes universal. And I think we all see ourselves in these stories. And even if your kid isn't disabled, you can think of that time when they were struggling at school or whatever this struggle is. And we can't compare each other's struggles, but we can listen to them. We shouldn't say, oh, well, my kid doesn't have a feeding tube, so I should shame myself for feeling bad that eating is a hard thing and mealtimes in our house. Nope. It's a real thing in your life, and we need to validate each other's real things and real feelings because I don't want people to feel sorry for me or sorry for my kid. If you met him, he is the mayor of Trader Joe's, and he will show you to the baby carrots. And That makes me so happy because Trader Joe's is my favorite store. I'm actually going there tomorrow. Oh, it's We go there go about every eight times every day. Our local store for our son's birthday because he's been a regular for so many years, and he just wears Hawaiian shirts anyway, so fits in there. The captain of our local store, um, shout out to Ben in Studio City, made him a name tag And he wears his actual name tag very proudly. When he goes into the store, customers ask my son, who is non-speaking and communicates with the device and gestures and vocalizations and things, and they're asking him where things are. He's high-fiving people. And why that works and is great is not because, oh, cute, you're being so nice to the disabled kid. Nope. It has never felt like that. Tiffany Yu, Yu, who's this wonderful creator and influencer and leader in the disability space, I had a conversation with her about this. And she was talking about the need for familiarity. And the familiarity is what erases the fear. My son is a part of that community there at Trader Joe's, and everybody knows him there because Frequency equals familiarity. And because he's there all the time, they get his his sounds and how he acts and all of these things as just part of life. It is just part of the fabric of life. He is contributing to their community by being there and being himself. And they are contributing by not pandering to the cute little disabled kid, but by saying, dude, you just put the bagels on the floor. You need to put the bagels back up or you need to put those back in the cart because he is just part of things. And disability, we all know disabled people, whether the people have non-visible disabilities that they have not revealed to us because they don't have to, they're not obligated to. It's just part of life. And I think for listeners who don't yet have it as an intimate part of their lives, it, it is there and it will continue to be there and having comfort with um, disability is just a thing, just the way everything else. Calling all parents of tiny titans, future CEOs, and mini movers and shakers. Is your little one a whirlwind of big dreams and even bigger tantrums? Do they have the potential to be unstoppable, but lack the tools to navigate the everyday chaos? Then buckle up because Tap Outs, the ultimate kids coaching program, is here to unleash your child's inner champion. Tap Outs isn't about karate or soccer drills. It trains kids in building resilience, confidence, and communication skills that last a lifetime. Their expert coaches, who are basically superheroes in disguise, will help your child harness their energy to channel their power into positive action. Face their fears by equipping them with the tools to overcome challenges and build emotional muscle. Forget tantrums and misunderstandings. Tapouts fosters clear communication, empathy, and healthy relationships. Discover their passions, whether it's building robots, painting masterpieces, or saving the planet. Tapouts helps kids find their spark and ignite their unique talents. Tapouts isn't just a program, it's a community, a village of supportive parents, empowered kids, and coaches who believe in your child's magic. So, ready to watch your little one tap into their full potential? Visit tapouts.com today and unlock a free trial session. P.S. 
Don't forget, the seeker code is TARA50 for 50% off your first month. So I have two questions. One, I'm going to, again, share a quick story. When I was a child, my my Uncle Jay had lived in a home for the blind, and my grandparents always made it a point to bring me from a very early age Yay. to the home. Yay! They, they, they were amazing. God bless them. They've passed on now because they'd be like 100 years old. <laughs> but they lived a long life anyway. They were both 93 when they died. But that's a, that's a tangent. But they always brought me for the home to the, the home for the blind when I was younger. So I always had a lot of experience with that. And then later on, when I was in college, I ran the Villanova department or the Villanova branch of Best Buddies, which is a phenomenal Mm -hmm. organization. And and we also worked with the Special Olympics. Villanova does a lot for Special Olympics as well. And so, and it really all started because of my Uncle Jay and because of my grandparents bringing me to to his homes. And I just wanted to close the loop on Jay really quickly. Unfortunately, we lost him to covid in early 2021, because it was rampant in the nursing home he was living in, in Queens, New York, had a particularly hard time with, with COVID, unfortunately, until we we lost him then. And, and it was a huge loss because he still to this day is my mother's favorite brother. Shh, don't tell the other two brothers yeah, that. I was going to say, mom, don't tell them not, tell them not to listen to this episode. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't listen to this one. Right? No, Jay will forever be our our favorite brother for forever and for always. And he lived an incredible life before he got hurt. And then even after he got hurt, he still lived an incredible life, competed in the Special Olympics, was fun and friendly and, and had tons of friends and, and what loved was his to play sport cards. in the Special Olympics. I think it was track or it was lifting. Nice. Cuz I was a child. I was I was young when when he did it and I actually still have his medals cuz they win medals. Oh, that's so. so great. Yeah. I want to say it was track. Like I said it was either track or if it was it was lifting. But years ago when he was in high school he was a wrestler. So my mom still always talks about his his wrestling days back in the day, but but Jay was wonderful and we love him and I could do an entire episode just on him alone. He was going to be a veterinarian and he worked at a local pet store in town that somehow had access to lions. So there was a lion named Elsa that he had. Again, this is like in the late 60s. And Elsa had rickets and he had to hand feed feed Elsa her medicine and he cured her of rickets. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he had a, he had a monkey, a a chimpanzee, I think it was, and it wore diapers and it lived at my house with my mom and my grandparents. Are you sure the chimp wasn't her favorite brother? Uh, you would right? think so, right? No, but it pooped and it probably oh, smelled. There you go. There you go. <laughs> or a diaper in the house. So, yep. so they had that for for a brief time. And yeah, Jay was just, he was a riot. He just, I mean, I always love to think about Elsa, the the sick lion that he that he cured. By the way, I really want there to be a picture book called Elsa Had Ricketts because I'm going <laughs> to quote you on that forever. And that's a children's <laughs> book that would sell terribly, but would make me very happy. that would be it oh my goodness I know I actually I think there may be a photo of that somewhere at I don't know probably my other uncle's house I don't know but I'm on a tangent now but but we love Jay and he will forever exactly be my favorite and I actually would say this isn't so much of a tangent because of exactly what you said that I'll highlight is his life certainly took an unexpected turn but he had an an incredible life before and after, and it looked very different. My two children have, they're great. I talk about them all day. They each have incredible lives, and they are very different lives. One of them, I might be diapering 30 years from now. I don't know. So hopefully not, but we'll see. That can be a thing. Um, he doesn't eat sandwiches. He has a feeding tube. He has all of these supports and care in place. And I think if someone had told me in the beginning, oh, all this stuff is going to be on your list and he's going to have an incredible life, I would have been crying, be like, no, he's not. This is terrible. But the bridge between this is terrible and crying about it and like, oh, this actually is an incredible life is something that you and your family knew about him 
before the accident, which as a brand new parent, and my son started on this journey when he was an infant, I loved him because he was my baby, but I didn't yet love him because of him. And your family already loved Jay because of him and who he is. And so you were on this journey already starting from this point of, oh my gosh, I love this human. Yes, of course, we all love our babies, but I didn't yet know. I'm going to cry. I didn't yet know my son as the human that he is and would be and would become. And I didn't have that advantage of, oh, I'm going to cry, of knowing that an incredible life for him, it was always on the table for it to happen with disabilities. We did not know prenatally there would be any disability involved. There's no test because there's no test for his genetic syndrome even now as he's 10 years old. We didn't know right away. We were totally caught off guard by everything. And the gap between the bottomless pits and like there's so much beauty in all the things that in him and his life is just how much you love your kid And again, when people are like, oh, I don't know how you do it. It's so hard to hear because you're thinking, yeah, you do. You love your kid. What you're, the subtext of that is, whoa, glad this isn't my kid. You do know how I do it. I do it because I don't have a choice and because I love this person so much. That you would literally do anything for them. You would literally do anything. And it's okay to say the word disabled. It's okay to say this is hard. I've talked to so many disabled adults who say over and over those same things. And that, yes, being disabled is harder than not being disabled. And not only is it specifically not tragic, but it is and can be and will be beautiful and in ways maybe you never knew. But owning just all the parts of the experience, we all have our hard thing. If you see my family walking down the street, you can guess what my hard thing is. It's real easy. My kid as a human is not hard. The way he is sometimes treated, the systems that we are up against to get the supports and the services that he needs and the ignorance and our own bias that we've had to work against because we didn't grow up with the advantage of having, by we, my husband, me, those around us, the advantage of knowing actual real-life disabled people, which is what makes this less scary. And whether you're following actual real-life disabled people online, being friends with them in person, like working with them at your job, Turns out real humans make our fears way less scary. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say to a parent who's listening right now and they want to teach their children to do better, to be better, to not stare, to not say anything awkward? Like, what would you say to that parent? I would say your child is starting out from the same standpoint as most of us, which is zero experience. Is your child going to stare at my child? Probably. And the worst thing you can do in the situation is be like, oh my God, don't stare at that kid. Pretend like he doesn't exist. Just walk and pretend like you can't see him because you can't really erase my kid's experience. That's super awkward for everybody. And, you know, adults actually stare more than children do, which is super weird. And I lean over and, you know, do a stage whisper of, I can see you. And they get super awkward and flustered and like run away. And it's hilarious. Instead of saying, don't stare, you also don't need to do the opposite of like, oh, go pat that cute little disabled kid on the head. You know what? My kid is cute. He is disabled. He doesn't want your hand on his head. Trust me. Like you don't need to pander to him. Acknowledge your child and validate Oh, I see you are looking at the the kid with the feeding tube. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm curious about that too. Be curious about other people. I'm curious about those bizarro parachute pants that guy's wearing over there. I'm also curious about that. I am curious about humans. And I genuinely love when kids 
come over to my son. And the feeding tube is a great example because such a, a clear visual of like, oh, he doesn't eat like you're eating or is he even eating? When kids come over and they're like, huh, what's that? And I give them the language for how to think about this. And I say, oh, this is super cool. Do you want me to show you? I also will emphasize that my son is super outgoing and is super, we talk a lot in our house about consent and his medical business is not everybody's business. He is very comfortable with feeding tube in public and you might see a little bit of his stomach and that is totally in line with his comfort level to have these conversations. So it's always to his safety and comfort level is top priority. And so he enjoys when kids come over, whether it's about his service dog or his feeding tube or whatever. And I say, oh, how cool is this? And then the kids are like, that is cool, but what is it? And we talk about how I make smoothies for him in the blender. You like smoothies, right? And kids are like, oh, I love smoothies. There was one kid who was like, no, I don't like smoothies. And I'm like, oh, come on. You're ruining my Everyone shtick. Everyone likes smoothies. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, have you tried smoothies? Yeah, I don't like them. And I'm like, oh, kid, really? So we, we rerouted. We refigured the conversation. But be curious. Instead of saying, don't stare, be like, hey, don't be creepy and stare because that's just weird. But I see you acknowledging that you see something you are curious about. If it is an appropriate moment, don't ever be like, hey, what's wrong with your kid? What's this kid's diagnosis? Because that's medical private information. Nothing is quote unquote wrong with my child because he moves through life differently. But validate your child and say, huh, I'm guessing that's a feeding tube. I haven't seen that before. Let's see if that person is comfortable having a conversation. And it's okay to say, hey, I'm curious. Is it okay if I ask you a question? And some people might might say, nope, I'm grocery shopping. And some people might invite you into these cool, interesting conversations. And I guarantee you, there are things about your child that my kid thinks are weird and that he has questions about. So don't be surprised if my kid is asking your kid questions too. And he's like, plaid. Why are you wearing plaid? What's up with the plaid? You know, whatever it is, we all have our thing. Everyone has their thing. Right? My kid will only wear sweatpants, so you'll never see him in plaid. Awesome. By the way, if you dig up plaid <laughs> sweatpants, I would like to wear those while reading Elsa Has Rickets. It'll be great. <laughs> Maybe the caretaker of Elsa in the book is wearing plaid sweatpants. Yes, please. I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. This is this is why this is why we're getting along so well. I love it. See? I knew it. <laughs> Although Jay, in every photo I've ever seen of him from the 60s, was wearing super short cut-off blue jeans, like that's blue jean shorts, because I think amazing. that's what people were wearing back then. That's I can't wait for our kids to look back at what we are wearing today and be like, oh um. Oh no. Oh, that no was bad. More. Yeah. No, no. Jay went to the original Woodstock too. Wow, that was something else worth. Yeah. Do you know yeah. if that was before or after his accident? Oh no, it was it was definitely before. Okay, definitely before. Okay, because yeah, I was gonna ask yeah. ask about like access at Woodstock and mud and like all the things. I do not think okay. that. No, that that yes, he went to Woodstock pre accident. That's you are right. That would not have been ideal. I actually went to Woodstock ninety nine. <gasps> Partly because Jay went to the one in 69. So you got to keep it going in the family. Oh, that's fantastic. That also did not have good access, except for the fact that it was built on an airplane hangar. So it was a lot of macadam. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like all pavement. Yeah. But the bathroom situation was really, really poor. Bad, Mm -hmm. bad sanitation there. Yeah. And by the way, you can see why it is challenging to be disabled when you think of things like that. And you're like, oh, you can live your life. You can do all the things. But going to an event like that, accessibility is not always built into the picture. And I love one of my experts for the book who runs Morgan's Wonderland and this incredible inclusive initiative out of San Antonio talks about just start with being curious. And when you walk into a space as an exercise and as often as you can, just say, is this accessible? And like, oh, I had to take this step or some somebody's freaking bird scooter is in the way of the sidewalk. Don't do that if you're 
going around on a scooter, you know, of kind of what is it sensory wise? Is this like blaring music in Old Navy going to keep families out of there because of their kids sensory processing stuff? I love the blaring music in Old Navy, but sometimes my kid loves it. Sometimes it's way too much. And it's just an interesting exercise that thinking about making spaces inclusive is a great way to talk to our kids you know, modern mom problem of how, how do we even start these conversations? I want my kid to not be ableist and to be inclusive and all the things. Just start talking about your spaces. Start talking about service dogs. Everybody loves dogs. The kid who didn't like smoothies probably doesn't like dogs, but everybody else likes dogs. Everyone else loves right? this service that dog. One kid. Yeah, yes. It's, yes. It's true. My, my mother is, is also disabled. And my husband and I often say that it's good for our son to have exposure to that with my mom because she has a challenge walking. And so she could hardly walk unassisted. And uh, it's good for him because it, it helps him practice patience. Yes. And he sees that, you know, sometimes we have to wait for grandma. It's going to take her longer to get out of the car. She needs, you know, a hand, you know, give her your elbow so that you could walk together, all of those things. And so it goes back to the exposure of what you were talking about earlier in our conversation, but it's so, so important. It is. And I bet he's not afraid of people who are disabled or need mobility aids. And something I've learned from wheelchair users is people are not bound to their wheelchairs. They're actually liberated by their wheelchairs. And that is a source of independence, not a source of like, oh, you poor thing. Nope. I'm independent and I love my wheelchair walker cane. You can be an occasional wheelchair, like all the things. And I think your son does not fear people in this situation because he's coming from a place of love. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He loves grandma and he wants yeah. to do fun things with her. Yeah. And it's going to continue to be that. Yes. I want to talk about, I mean, I know we've like gone gone a long time, but I want to talk about boring stuff for a second. I love boring. I want to talk about like, do you? Yeah. No. Okay, let's no. do it. <laughs> but I like, <laughs> likes I like to make it interesting <laughs> as much as I can. Let's make it interesting, Kel. There's so much paperwork that comes in to all of this, whether it's, you know, setting up the the right services and supports, you know, there's life insurance, there's uh, disability insurance, there's, there's financial planning. Like, how do you even start to scratch the surface on all of those? First, you start scratching the surface by screaming a lot. Back up everything on your laptop, because if you don't, you'll end up with a dead laptop like I did. So that's where you start is by backing things up. As I mentioned earlier, State services and government services and supports are different across all states. There's an amount of paperwork that comes with parenting that nobody tells us when we're pregnant. And we're like, ah, crap, that's a lot of school forms every year, right? When the needs are exponential, the paperwork is exponential and it's exponentially boring. It's never going to be fun, but we do need to have systems in place to do this. You know, I joke about like, I'm real good at boring things. Is paperwork ever fun for me? No, it's not, but I'm better at it. So it can be less time consuming for those of us with children. Ideally we have, and we have figured out our insurance plans, our estate planning, whether that is the most simple will or an advanced care directive or successor caregivers. If we fall into a wood chipper, like Whatever that is, for my son, we need a special needs financial planner. They're moving towards being called disability financial planners. A certain amount in your bank account can trigger a total loss of government services. So you need to work specifically with planners who know your state and know the laws and regulation so that your child's government benefits are not pulled out, especially when you're thinking about medical supports, about residential supports, about respite, caregiving, nursing supports, all of that. Also for my son, he needs a future care plan because if he outlives us, there's no reason to believe he won't. Most parents can expect their children to do that. He will need total care. He will never be fully independent. There are many avenues of independence for him, but we need a plan that takes everything into account for his potential future, especially for things that he cannot communicate for himself, that future caregivers, either now or well into the future, will need to know. We need to be updating the care plans. 
and for all of us, whether our kids are disabled or not, but especially for those of us who are, we need to know certainly what the right school is, what is the right fit for activities and peers and all of that. We need to look at our insurance plan, which is so dreadful and so scary and nobody wants to do it. But once you've done basics of saying, what is in my explanation of benefits that I can actually understand so that I can either get all my answers and pat myself on the back or that I can call the customer service with informed and specific questions so I can spend less time on the phone with customer service. I can get a reimbursement check faster. You know, in the book, there's a whole chapter about how to do this with bullet points and lists and what all these different terms mean because nobody knows. I don't know. I learned, I was literally taking notes as I was writing writing this book and especially that chapter. So I was like, oh, I can, I can, that's how to get that reimbursement. And then I did. And I was like, oh my God, the book works. It works. The paperwork and planning is a ton. It is a full-time forever job. And we need to learn how to do it instead of reinventing the wheel so we can spend less time with the stuff and more time with our kids. Beautifully said. I hate reimbursement. Can we just talk about that for like a split? It is the worst. I I do have to say, I have to give kudos to my husband because he's the one that handles it. But still, it's really frustrating. And then you get denied. And he's like, but why Why did, I don't know. I mean, yes. you don't get denied, but we get denied Ooh. on things. Oh, yeah. And, and then you're like $20,000 deep. And you're yes. like, well, how, how was that? How did you get denied on that? Yes. It's clearly right there. Yes. There's clearly a diagnosis. It is, I don't know. It is clearly right there. And I've appealed this and you denied my appeal, but it's right here. And then so often you go back and they're like, oh, they needed four things for my appeal to go through. And I gave them three and a half and I didn't actually fully answer number four. And so they automatically denied me. And even the simple things of having a conversation with someone at your insurance company to say, I am appealing this. Tell me slowly so I can write this down. What exactly do I need for my appeal? And I write it down. And then I say to them, which I do every single time, I say, I'm going to repeat this back to you. Please correct me if I have missed anything or I've gotten anything wrong. I still miss things. I still get things wrong. I've been doing this for a decade. When you do that, you save yourself so much time. Section time in your calendar to fill out that school paperwork, whether it's an extensive IEP for your child's education, like we are preparing for, for my son, like we do every year, whether it's the basic emergency information form, put time on your calendar and turn off your internet, do all the things during that time to get that done, because then you can shift it instead of feeling like something that's hanging over your head. You've set aside the time and it feels like an accomplishment. And when your kid is disabled and is needing the therapies, the supports, whatever, it can be a straight line to that accomplishment because you're seeing your kid getting the feeding therapy, the occupational therapy, the speech device that you worked for. And you need to build in those victories because otherwise it's all awful and the victories make it doable. It's true. You have to celebrate those little milestones. You do. Every time you can. Every time. Mm-hmm. The IEP goes through properly, celebrate that. Oh, my god! The, fi- the fact that you don't have to fight with the child study team, <laughs> celebrate yes. that. Oh, my goodness, yes. We are in the thick of preparing for IEP plus our annual social service meeting plus I have a book coming out. And I'm just like, I've been wearing the same pants for five days. You know what? I'm going to keep wearing those pants because that makes my Where? life easier. See, there you go. They're not wearing a uniform. Oh, bummer. Are they sweatpants, though? (laughs) They're kind of ugly yoga pants. Oh, no, I like those. Those are cute. And you have the cutest, yeah, and you have the cutest yellow sweater. Thank you. You know what? Sometimes we just need a yellow sweater because when you wake up and your kid's like, Mom, did you sleep? You look tired. I'm like, ugh. I thought I slept. I thought I looked good. Uh." Sometimes you just need that yellow sweater that will make you feel better. That's it. Go with the letter, yellow sweater. It's true. That's all you need. Kelly Coleman, tell everyone where we can find you. Yes, you can find me. My website is kellycoleman.com. 
That's K-E-L-L-E-Y colon.com. And all my social link media links and such are on there. Book info. My Instagram is at hello Kelly Coleman. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y. And I am so excited for folks to find me, connect with me, read my book, and hopefully save themselves the incredible amount of time, money, energy, all the things that I wasted. It's so important because I have so many friends. I can't even think of so many friends that have children with different diagnoses of, of things. And and oftentimes we're talking about all of this kind of stuff. You know, we're talking about how, how do you submit that? How do you put in for that? There's something in our town that my one really close friend manages. It's called a CPEG, which is, I guess, how would you describe that? It's sort of like the parents of special needs children with the association for the school. And so essentially it's like an organization of parents with children with diagnoses and, you know, IEPs and 504s. And the first time I attended that meeting, I walked in and I was blown away by the response of how many people were there in person. And everyone was just looking around each other and saying, we are not alone we were here in town together and we didn't know you know you know which child has autism which child has dyslexia which child has dyspraxia you know it was just one of those things where you just look around and and it warmed my heart because i thought we're together we're not alone we're going through this together and so community and you said this earlier Kel community is so so important try to find your community whether it's in person or it's online don't do this alone you don't have to do this alone you absolutely don't have to do this alone there is no ranking system of your child is or is not disabled enough to join this community of parents and caregivers and moms and supports all of this. Your story is different than mine. You might think my kid, whew, that sounds hard, but I might think, whoa, your kid's hard. It doesn't matter. We are all in this together. And the community that you have created here for parents of all sorts that allows space to say all the things we're thinking, to laugh about the things that we just need to laugh about sometimes is so important to say the real things that we are really feeling because that's where the connection comes from, not from saying, this is easy, I got this, but by really connecting with all the things. All the things. Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be a part of your community. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.